Hi friends, Brad here, the lead pastor of a new church called The Table. This podcast is a short insight to what we do every week, and we think that long, drawn-out messages lose meaning. So over the course of this podcast, you'll find questions that we pose to our people that they'll discuss in real time. And so we would love for you to find time to reflect on these questions as well. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and check us out at thetablejoliet.org. Woo. Good morning. My name is Elizabeth Fearling-Poost, and I am so delighted to be with you again this morning. They let me back in again today. Thank you. <laughs> Boy, it, the art of the heart is hard stuff. Those relationships are hard. But so is driving in the Ozarks in a 15-passenger van with a trailer behind it. So I was 23, a fresh-minted youth pastor, and I was driving this 15-passenger van with the trailer. Now, this isn't a big deal to me. I'm a farm girl. I know how to drive large equipment. However, (laughs) I am not used to driving them on hairpin turns in the Ozarks. And we were on our way to Fun in the Sun camp, and there were 24 miles after you get off the main the main road, that are twisty and turny to the point where the trailer is not just in the rearview mirror, it is literally in your side window. You're like, oh, there it is. All right, good. So the other thing that's scary about this is that the roads are super narrow and there are like sheer drop-offs right next to the edge of the road. Not on one side, but both. And then there's this humongous ravine that's just right there, just waiting to receive you. Now the problem is is that there are no guardrails, like none. And so you're driving along white-knuckledly on this little thin ribbon of road, and it's taking forever. I had the air conditioning up full tilt, so then my Flatlander students in the back weren't going to get carsick, and neither was I. And my fingers are so tightly gripping the steering wheel that you you can see the whites of my knuckles. And as I'm <laughs> leading this troop in, into battle, it was like things were dying along the way. There were large buses and dead trailers along the way looking to remind you that perhaps not everyone makes it out. And so <laughs> just keep going because there's no turning around. And so then I met not a dead school bus like we had been seeing, but like a live functioning one heading towards us. And I was like, oh, I really didn't want to meet anything big. And here we are. And so I'm trying my very best not to close my eyes and not to pee my pants, which I successfully did. And then not peeing the pants, by the way. And so then I get to, <laughs> we get a little farther down the road and I see it. The cement truck is coming our way as well. And it's one of those moments that's kind of like slow motion, where in Looney Tunes, where everything gets skinnier and taller and passes by each other, and then there's like a sound afterward. <laughs> That's what it felt like, and I tried really hard not to close my eyes, and I didn't. And so, it, <laughs> but it was scary, and I continued onward. And then from the back of the bus, back of my van, I hear this voice 
as I see it too, like an old friend that you want to give a hug to. Oh, thank God, it's a guardrail. <laughs> a guardrail. I could have wrote a poem about that guardrail right then. I was so thankful just for a couple guardrails. You know, the funny thing is it makes our guardrails here in Illinois look excessive and kind of ridiculous. Like, we need to package some up and send them to Missouri where they really need them. And <laughs> I mean, I realize we have ice and it's a real thing. But when you come back in the middle of summer, you just feel like, look, there's like a little hole in the road on, in, on the side there. And they put up a guardrail. Remarkable. And so those guardrails in our lives sometimes feel excessive, but in the moments where storms come and where things are happening in our lives, where there are these sheer drop-off moments, we need those guardrails. They're important. Guarding our hearts is the same way. In our relationships and in all of the areas of our lives, guarding your heart matters. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else. In the NIV, it says, everything you do flows from it. Another translation says, for it determines the course of your life. Out of it flows the issues of life. And aren't relationships the issues? <laughs> Where all of the issues kind of bubble forth those relationships that we have that kind of bubble forth and cause life to form and move in, in different ways that we're not expecting is exactly what happens in scripture as well. Our story for today that we're going to kind of sit in a little bit is in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, you'll find the story of the woman at the well. Now, the Samaritan woman at the well is never given a name in the Bible, which I think is rather unfortunate. So I'd like to name her Myrna today. And the story of the woman at the well has a few misconceptions if you've been in church a long time. And from my research and experience, I want to share with you a few of the things that I've learned about that as we dive into the story. Now, Myrna had never been with the crowd. She asked forever, for whatever reason. She asked too many questions. She thought too much. And then after her mom got sick, she was just so tired taking care of her little brothers and sisters. And then her dad sold her off to a man three times her age to be married to him. She didn't love him. He was old and mean. And she found herself in the midst of this home. But in not very long a time, he died. And what would happen if the husband dies is that you would then go to live with the brother of that husband, and unfortunately, that man had died as well. And so then you'd go back to your father's house, but if your dad had died by that point, at 14, you could find yourself a widow and an orphan. So then your only alternative is to get married again into another relationship. Myrna, five husbands later, had no children. The challenge is, is that when you did not produce sons, a husband could divorce you with no consequences. And so here she finds herself, five husbands later, trying to find a place to sleep anywhere that could be safe. And then she's on her way to the well 
with her drag in the middle of the day so that she doesn't have to face any of the other nattering gossips or any of the other people. She just wants to get water, even though it's hot. And then she sees him, shadow of a man, right there next to the well. She's like a frightened cat, ready to protect herself. And as she gets closer to the well, because she's got to get water, she gets closer to the well, she sees that this is not a Samaritan. The man has a robe of a Jew, a rabbi to be specific. And as she gets closer, he sees her and smiles with a clear and clean and good disarming smile and looks her right in the eye and says, will you give me a drink? Now this is unheard of. Jews don't give Samaritans a drink. And he's asking for a drink from me? It'd be like asking someone for a drink out of your water bottle because it's your jug that you dip down into the well to pull the water up. And this is the exchange that happens in John 4 with the Samaritan woman. It says this. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for a drink, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, Sir, uh, you don't have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So are you going to get, how are you going to get this living water that you speak of? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug the well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock and passed down to us? And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I will never get thirsty and I won't have to come to this well again. I will never have to come back here again. Then Jesus asks her a question. He said, go and call your husband. She looks at her feet. How do you answer a question like this? Her shoulders slump with near tears in her eyes and almost a whisper she says, I have no husband. Jesus answered kindly and respectfully. You're right. Then she asked him the questions from her heart. She'd been wondering and thinking and asking people for years and had just been completely sidelined in, shoved aside with hopefulness of a new day and a new life when answers will happen and sidelining doesn't. She mustered her courage and she said, I know the Messiah is coming and he will explain everything to me. 
Jesus says, I am he. Just then, the disciples return with Subway, or the first century version of it anyway. (laughs) And they're in the middle of one of Peter's crazy stories, and they just freeze. They see Jesus, and they see Myrna, and their mouths just drop open, and they look from Myrna to Jesus. Jesus, Myrna, Myrna, Jesus. This sort of thing isn't supposed to be happening. He's not just supposed to be talking to a Samaritan woman, especially not un- unattended like, she, like he is. But here, Myrna looks at the situation, and she leaves in a dead run, leaving her water jug behind. It'd be like leaving your car keys behind, your cell phone behind, your bank card behind, your most valuable possessions behind, and runs. But she's not running away. She runs to tell others. She runs and says this. She says, he's told me everything I've ever done. While Jesus and the disciples are hanging out in the fields talking about the fields themselves, Myrna is literally telling people about Jesus, about how he's told her everything she'd ever done. Now, when we think everything she's ever done, but get your mind out of the gutter, everything she's ever done, from begging in the streets because she's been turned out, standing outside the temple, craning her neck to hear because she can't go in because she's not a man and not a Jew. The moment she was so alone, it hurt. The moment she spoke up for the injustices of others, risking her very life, everything she'd ever done, the moments of crying at funerals, and celebrating with friends who had babies when she couldn't. The moments she took the high road, actions done out of fear or shame, and the ones done out of love and sacrifice. Everything she ever did. All of it. We don't know all of her story, but we can imagine he saw her. What we do know is that most women in the first century didn't have free choices. They were treated like property, traded, sold, discarded, ignored. So is it any wonder that when she was completely transformed, she left her jug behind? Because she was no longer thirsty. She ran to tell others. And they came. The girl who risked her life not to be around other people at all. To get water in the middle of the day that was completely unsafe. Is now running to tell about her transformation. Because what is inside her, this wellspring of life inside of her, is just overflowing. She can't contain it. She's no longer thirsty, but sharing water 
from the source. In verse 39 of the story, it says that many Samaritans believed her testimony and were saved because of her story, because of her willingness to go and tell them. Last week, we found Hagar next to a spring, and God found her there. The angel of God found her, and she said, you are the God who sees me next to the spring. This week, Jesus, the God-man himself, meets Myrna next to the wellspring. And this wellspring, where she met him, he didn't just see her, everything she's ever done. He fills her. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So Jesus needs to be next to our spring. But what happens in John 4 does that one better. Jesus isn't just next to the spring. Jesus says, everyone who drinks the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. An artesian spring within gushing fountains of everlasting life. What that means is, is that he is the spring in us. Jesus is the wellspring of life in us. That means that our source, the Holy Spirit residing inside of us, our source of who we are and what we're guarding, looks very different when at the center of it is God. The Trinity, the three in one. So having boundaries around that, isn't about our dysfunction. It isn't about depression. It isn't about weaknesses that we're protecting ourselves from. It should be about Jesus. Not just the stuff of this world that we're guarding against, but guarding our heart because it is the wellspring of life. It is Jesus in us. When we invite Jesus into our lives, when you say, I'm a sinner, and Jesus, I want you to come into my life, I believe that you are who you say you are. You are the Son of God. And you invite him in. And if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do so. The wellspring of eternal life comes and fills you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it changes what we're guarding and how we're guarding our hearts. Because it's not just about us anymore. And it's important. It matters. It's valuable and precious. It's eternal. Your heart isn't just yours anymore. If Jesus is inside of you, that means your heart is eternal. Forever and ever. Amen. And so that Jesus spring inside of you, we want nothing to contaminate it. Nothing. We don't want anything to separate us from God, but we don't want anything to contaminate it, our hearts either, to poison them. And the truth is, is that some of the people that you've allowed into your lives aren't exactly healthy. They're literally toxic people. 
And you may not have officially invited them in. They may have snuck in. But once they're in, their toxicity can just rack life. Maybe it can be like one big nuclear toxic blast all at one time, just poof, and everything's kind of destroyed. Or it could be more like lead in the pipes, just a little bit of poison every day, just kind of seeping in into your bloodstream and into your mind and into your heart and into every part of you. The toxicity of those people in your lives, the words that they say, the ways in which they act starts to affect your brain, starts to affect your heart. It's gradually poisoning and deadening you to the things of God, deadening you to other people. You stop noticing that weird smell and the fact that your brain's cloudy all the time. Those toxic people and relationships, those things that we love that are destructive to us, those people we love that are destructive to us are destroying you. In Proverbs 25, 26, it says this, like a muddied spring or a polluted well are the righteous God followers who give way to the wicked. When we give up parts of our lives to the wicked, we become polluted. So, we need people to protect us. We need people to be part of our wellspring of life. We need to make sure that our wellspring has people to guard it, to stand watch over our lives. It's, you know, to keep things from creeping in and dying there from sneaking in. Those are the types of people who help us weed out the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The sneaky things that don't really seem like a big deal at all. That we don't even really notice at first. And someone asks us about them. Or about them. And our eyes become opened. Those are the people that help clear the rubble from our well, from the stuff that's happened, from the brokenness that's happened to the people that help clear out the gunk and the junk from around our well. Isaiah 58 talks about how the community is to help make the place livable again for the streams of living water, to fend off unexpected predators like armadillos. Did you know they're leprous? They look like animals ready for war. And so are some of the things in our lives. They're ready for war. And we have to be ready too. We need people to stay, stand watch and say, Armadillo, not today. (laughs) Not on my watch. Those are the things we want to make sure that we're standing guard from. And so those people in our lives The scriptures talk about guarding our hearts and the wellspring of life over 75 times, about just guarding your heart and your life and your mouth and your mind. That's not by accident. It means we need help. We can't do it on our own. We're not designed to do it on our own. And so I want you to pause right now, not on your own, and I want you to talk to some people around you.
Now that may be a step too far for you today, and so maybe you need to text someone the answers to these questions, or take notes, but I encourage you to just push yourself out of your comfort zone just a little bit. And the first question I want you to think about is, what shape are the emotional guardrails of your heart in? What kind of damage have they incurred? How long have they been there? Talk to your friends. Or make some new ones. she had ever done, everything Myrna had ever done. That's a statement that we think about in our world, in our day to age today, that like, if she would have said it, we would have been thinking about it a little different. But she invited Jesus in to her questions and into her deepest hopes the encounter was life-giving and life-changing. Everything we've ever done, that's a lot. In our day and age, there are those people whose lives we feel we know too much about. It's a little TMI. Like this morning, you already know what color of socks they're wearing because of their Instagram feed. You know, those sorts of things, like, they've just shared a little bit more about their lives, publicly or privately, whatever, with you than you ever really cared to know. But there are some of those people out there who are just sharing everything about themselves. And the reality is, is that not everything you've ever done should everyone know about. There are some of those things that are precious and important and need to be treated weightily and carefully. That we shouldn't just slosh around. That we need to treat as valuable because they matter. They impact our heart. It's those things that need guardrails around them. But there are also some of you that people don't really know anything about the real you. They don't really know you. And sometimes we use that as its own guardrail. Like, you don't really know, they don't really know me. They don't really understand me. And it's because we haven't invited them in. We haven't invited them to be part of our circle. We haven't invited them to be part of the cadre of people who get to hear the things of our heart. And it may be because we haven't slowed down enough to invite them to take the slow journey into those places. Because sometimes it takes proper gear and hard hats to head into those deep spaces of our lives. To head into those deep spaces of, spaces of us some of you need to invite people in. Not everyone should know everything about you, but some should know the real you. 
some should really know you. Your life, your dreams, your fears. And so I want, you know, how do we figure this out? How do we know who to invite in and who to extricate? So here's a few things that I would recommend for you. The first one is that your inner circle of people, those inner circle of people who know you best, who are helping to guard your heart best, they should be godly people. Not godly in the sense of, yes, I am godly. I am here for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, that sort of godliness, I want no part of. (laughs) I want people who are godly and real, who have random socks in the back of their car. You know, people who are real, people who have life happening around them, and that God flows out of them despite of those things, maybe even because of those things that push us to those places, that they're living in ways that are generous and kind and others-focused and humble. I want people who are for me. I want you to find people for your circle that are for you, that believe in your dreams, that take the time to hear them, to ask good questions, and to guide you along the way, to ask hard questions when you need it. And then those circle of people, the best you can do, you want them to be non-toxic. You want them to at least be neutral. But people who are going to help you in the midst of your toxicity can't be super toxic themselves. You need people who are on the other side of that, who have a filter system down. And so for your water to be full and clean, you're going to need to have people who are not angry, who are not bitter all the time. These things happen to all of us. We all have these moments. But if they don't live here, like they live in anger, they live as bitter people, they live as judgy. They're just forever judging people. Well, at least I'm not like them. You know, or whiny, like they're just whining all the time. These are not things that God is. Now, you can't abandon your preschooler because they're whiny. That's not what I'm saying. Because the reality is is that you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your relatives. You know, I know. I've been a youth pastor a long time, and there were some of those students that I wanted to leave by the side of the road in Missouri, but I did not. I brought them back. No child was left behind. And so it's important (laughs) in those things that we care for those people in our lives too. But we we are the ones who get to decide what kind of impact they have on us. Those toxic coworkers, those neighbors with the super yappy dog that moved in next door, those classmates that you have that you are stuck with because they're in your school with you. They ride your bus. They are those people that we have that improve our prayer life, but they don't have to be our inner circle. They don't have to be those people who are guarding our heart. And so we want those people who are going to be watchmen who wait for the night in that. So if you find yourself in unhealthy or abusive situations, you need more guardrails. You need people who are going to help be those watchmen those people who are going to help you walk through those spaces that you need to invite into your heart. And some of those people 
Those relationships are past relationships. They're not even things that are happening right now. They're in the past. But yet there are crumbs of toxic ooze in the corners of your brain and in your heart that just kind of seep in, that we don't have control over really well, that we need prayer and we need people to help us. We need the word of God to help filter these things in us of what's true And so you need friends and spiritual mentors, and some of you need professional counselors to help you with that process. And that's a good thing, because some of you have been in really toxic situations. The toxicity that you were in takes a long time to heal from. A broken bone takes a long time. Dislocated my elbow a couple years back, and it took a full year to get the full power back. They said it would be so easy to re-injure it within that year. And I did. I re-injured it again, packing up an inflatable gaga ball pit. Gaga got me. (sighs) But that took a lot, that physical therapy that I had to get for that elbow that helped strengthen it and helped bring motion back into it took time. It took patience. It took people caring for me. And the same is true for your heart. So it's so much more important as it's healing to have the guardrails around it, to have people guarding your heart. So how do we set healthy boundaries about being intentional? And we do this by being intentional and filling our lives more with God's peace and shalom. There's a passage in Philippians that I want to read for you. It says this, it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, the shalom wholeness of God is what's going to guard our hearts and our minds. So not only is it God inside of us, it's the part that's going to guard us, that's going to give us strength that we don't have in in our own power. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And so we need to do everything we can to be intentional about being in the word of God to strengthen that and to make sure that the current is heading outward from us rather than inward. And so what songs are you singing as you go through your day? Guardrails. What are you thinking about and letting your mind wander to? Guardrails. What are you flipping to? guardrails. What truths are you believing? What pathways in your heart and mind are so well worn that that's always the way you go? That are broken, that need mending, that need a guardrail so that truth can be the thing that you begin to repeat to yourself. God's truth. And in relationships, Who are those people who have brought you down in destructive ways? They send you down those destructive paths in your mind and in your heart that they drag you with them to those places. Guardrails. So the question is, what relationships in your life are leaving you as you leave their presence, leave you with godly hope, with joy, with perspective that you didn't have when you entered into that coffee date? Those are the types of people you want to be placing around your life. And if you don't have those kinds of friends, I encourage you to pray that God gives you some. 
get intentional, get into a rooted group, join one of the table talks so then you can find other people who are like-minded and like-hearted that are seeking after Jesus. Get connected. Make choices to actually meet someone before church or afterwards. One step at a time are the ways in which you bring those people into your life. And when you start becoming those people, God will bring them into your life. You'll be blown away. It'll be like, I don't even deserve these awesome people that God's placing in my life. And it's because you're making an intentional effort to fill your life with Jesus. This wellspring of life, when we put our lives in front of Jesus, this wellspring springs forth from us, and it rains on all the people around us. Become those people. Drench your heart in the word of God. Drench who you are in Jesus until your fingers are pruny, because it is the wellspring of life. Amazing thing to me is also about the spring it begins in Genesis, and it doesn't end until Revelation. This wellspring of life Jesus talks about. In Revelation 7, 17, it says, For the Lamb at the center of the throne, Jesus, will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Every tear. Now, that's not going to happen this side of heaven. But that living spring is eternal. Revelation 21 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then it talks about the God who sees you and fills you, gives water to you without cost, and from the spring of the water of life. Jesus. You need those guardrails around your heart and around your life because Jesus is inside of you and for you to be able to pour out into the lives of others and for them to come to know this everything I've ever done kind of God. We've got to be ready to do it. We've got to be ready to leave our water jug and to run Because we have the wellspring of life inside of us. And I pray that this be a people who don't run alone, but that you run together to tell other people about Jesus. That you run as a community towards others to tell them about who he is and how your life has been changed and how this wellspring inside of you, you don't completely understand it, but it's happening. It's filling you. It's making a difference. The guardrails that you used to fall into the pits of, you no longer do. Because Jesus has made the difference. We're now going to move into a time of communion. And what happens in this space of communion is that Jesus is foretelling what's going to happen. In that Last Supper, he's not just offering them the cup and the bread. He's using the language of a marriage ceremony. 
He's using the language of the bridegroom and what's going to happen. And that bridegroom is going to go and prepare a place for them. And he's going to come back to be with them. And so as he offers up the cup and says, this is my blood poured out and shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. He's saying that this God, this relationship, when he offers the cup, it's just like the bridegroom offering the cup to the bride and saying, all that I am, all that I have, and all that I will one day be, I give to you. And then the disciples got the choice, just like the bride did, of receiving that cup and saying, I receive you into me, Jesus. I receive your wellspring of life into me. And everything that I have and everything that I am and everything that I will one day be, I offer back to you. And this bread that's broken is the body of Christ broken for you. This relationship with Jesus, he loved you so much he died for you. And he's coming back. That this wellspring is eternal and matters today. So I encourage you to surrender your stuff to Jesus and invite that wellspring inside of you. And in that same way, receive the cup. What you're going to do is you're going to come to a station and you're going to take a piece of bread and you're going to dip it in the cup and then you partake. You're going to remember what Jesus is doing as you do that. Anyone and everybody who has a relationship with Jesus and attempts to follow him as Lord is welcome at the table. Welcome to the communion table. So we want to encourage you now to come and drink and taste, just dip and eat, the presence of Jesus in your life. Place those guardrails around your heart. Put those people inside of you and trust the God who works. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this bread and this cup. We thank you that you are the great offering, that you've already paid the price for our sins, and that we get the freedom that Myrna got, this free wellspring of life, that we can tell that you see us, that you're a God who sees us, and you're a God who fills us over and over and over again. God, help us as we get trapped in patterns of thinking and as people entangle our lives, God, may you bring those people to be those guards around us. May we be brave in making hard choices towards you, Jesus. May we be fierce protectors of our hearts because they matter to you. Thank you, Jesus for your love and for your truth that pours out overflowing the wellspring of life. Amen and amen and amen. Come. We are children of the living God. He is for us, not against us. And there is a hope and a future for us. Hey, we're gonna say this prayer as we leave. Jesus, bring someone across my path who needs to know you. Give me the eyes to see them, the ears to listen to them, the arms to embrace them, and the heart to love them. Have a great week. Sign up for that uh, thing with Dr. Kevin. Sign up for some table groups. And join us again next week.